you have five or six conversations with somebody, several meetings with them, and they haven't purchased from you, it's okay to ask them for that sale, right? How come you haven't, how come you haven't bought anything from us yet? You know, we, we talk all the time and like, you know, it's, um, it, it still is business at the end of the day. And it's nice to have, um, you want to have these relationships. Like I have some very close friends in this industry who are customers of mine now. I value those a ton from a, a, a pretty large, uh, I would call it like a broker distributor work with a good friend of mine, probably at my wedding, you know, when I, when I get married and, um, that, that's really cool to me, but also like, um, you know, I don't want friends. I also want, you know, we, we want partners, we want customers. So it's okay to, uh, it's okay to push for that. Welcome to Winning at Work, the podcast for foodies, founders, and food and beverage professionals. You know, if you wanted to discover a new brand, a new food or beverage to try, there are literally thousands of companies out there. It is very difficult to do that. That's why we curate the different the better and the special brands here each and every week so you don't have to do the heavy lifting. If you're a founder and you're looking to connect with other like-minded executives, we make that very easy. And if you just work in the food and beverage industry and you're looking for fresh inspiration, we have that here in spades. This episode is sponsored by Temple. Congratulations, you're selling in retail. But the competition is fierce and your brand is surrounded by similar products. How will consumers find you? Let Temple show you an innovative retail sales solution. Click on the Attract Consumers link below. Need to attract great employees? Click on the Hire Now below and we'll show you how to use your culture to help you stand out. Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. You know, it is a horrible time to be having food conversations, especially like delicious food conversations on an empty stomach. But here I go again, having another <laughs> another uh, challenging moment. I've got to talk about one of the most delicious pieces of seafood on the market, and that is lobster. Um, kind of a funny story. Adam Late and I, we started this conversation about two years ago, but the lobster market has been so crazy, so chaotic. Our schedules have taken us in two completely opposite directions. So I am really, really excited that today, finally, two years in the making, I am going to get to expose everybody to the story of Luke's Lobster uh, I can't wait to learn all that there is to know about lobster harvesting and the marketplace for lobsters. Um, a little bit of backstory on Luke's Lobster. Yes, it's been around for about 13 years. It's got a, it does have an origin story. We're probably not going to spend too much time on that. But um, I can tell you they've got 22 shacks. I love that you guys call them shacks. 22 shacks in 10 states around the U.S., Currently, you've got locations in Japan and Singapore. You do have a branded grocery retail line. You've got about a thousand retail placements um, because you are dealing with a, a frozen product. You do have some DTC. You do have an online business. Um, they are a certified B corporation, which is fantastic because you're putting purpose uh, before profit. We'll probably touch on that a little bit. Um, in terms of like market trends, data trends, Luke's lobster represents 31% of all frozen lobster sales sold in the U.S. That's incredible. That is 
that's mind blowing that that you're you've got that much market share. Um, in terms of CPG rankings, uh, the number one top selling frozen lobster product or products in the U.S. Uh, we could just go on and on and on. You're also in wholesale. Um, finally, I get the head of sales for Luke's Lobster, Adam. Welcome into the program, my man. Tony, thanks very much for having me. Um, it, it, it's been a it's been a long road to get here, but um, I'm definitely <laughs> happy to be here. Well, we finally got you off the uh, the uh, ships. I, I guess you were just covered head to toe in a in in I don't know lobster wear. Yeah, I think sometimes I wish I could say I do a little more of the grunt work, but um, I'm definitely more uh, behind the scenes <laughs> than uh, than our frontline guys. Well, you have now. You've been out on the, but you had to have been out on the boats. You've had to have gone out and and seen the actual harvesting, right? You so you've you, you got to wear like the little fu- funny hat and the uh, you know, for sure. So, um, quick story around that. I I'm from um, originally from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, and I um, and now one of the co-ops we work with um, during the spring season is called the Cayley Co-op. Um, this is located in Port Hood, Nova Scotia, on Cape Breton Island. And I did do a few days of, um, of lobster fishing when I was just out of high school. Like I'll be home from the summers. I, I played hockey in the winters and I'll be home for the summers. And, and I worked as a, as a help a little bit, um, did a couple days, um, and found out pretty quickly that, that I get pretty seasick. Um, so, oh. um, it, Turned it green in the gills, did you? <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm definitely not built for, uh, I, I love lobster. I, I do love the industry. Um, I, I wasn't built for um, I wasn't built for the hands-on piece. I was definitely more uh, I was more built for for helping the product get to uh, get to its end destination. There you go. You're the onshore side <laughs> of the operation. <clears throat> well, exactly. So I'm just kind of curious um, when we talk about just the lobster market in itself. I mean, how do you even determine market value for lobster or different seafood products? It seems such a moving target i would imagine that's very difficult with pricing when we look at, at market pricing it's it's um i feel like it's it's more supply and demand driven than anything else um supply and demand and competition that it, it's it is a limited it's a limited resource you know there, there's only so much um if you're working directly with you know a fisherman's co-op you're buying all their catch you know if, if you're taking like we do from several of our co-ops whether it's in atlanta canada or here in maine we're buying all the all the lobster they catch. So if, if we can't process it all, we still have to buy it. We're you know because we're we're committed to those fishermen. We're committed to that wharf. There's a, a really a wider array of 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 lobster buyers. Um, you know for, for us we're uh, like you know we're uh, we're a vertically integrated seafood company where we have you know we're, we're working directly with co-op for processing the products ourselves. We're then sending the products either to ourselves, you know, with with the lobster meat to our own restaurants, or we're making, you know, packaged goods for restaurants or selling them, you know, wholesale and to, to third party customers. Um, and then you have, you know, um, you have live lobster companies that are just taking in live lobster and shipping it. You know, they're shipping it overseas or they're selling it um, um, domestically in supermarkets. And then you have, you know, go down further down the chain, like just middlemen that are just you know, tacking their five or 10 cents on when they have a sale. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's honestly like a moving target. Like uh, just even look at this last week, you know, um, leading up to the 4th of July, the price, 
you know, kicked up pretty good as the 4th is a, a pretty good lobster holiday. And then, you know, now that we've gotten past it, you know, around Wednesday, Thursday last week, the price dropped 50 cents, 75 cents. So it, it can be it can be timing. It can be who needs lobster when, you know, and you, and you got to kind of be um, competing with that market price to, to keep your buys. You mentioned there's great times for, you know, cooking and grilling lobster. I just in general, what is the ideal lobster season? for harvesting when do you guys go out and feel like this is our our sweet spot for us being on on the processing side um the the best typically the best month for us is june um and during this spring season we work with um we work with directly with that kaylee co-op as i mentioned in cape breton and we work with another one up in the gas bay in in uh in uh, new brunswick and quebec and um Typically, the the Canadian lobster is a little. Um, it's it's the same lobsters we catch down here, but just where um, where their waters are are, are, uh, are a little colder, you do get a little fuller shell. So we do get like a really robust um, lobster meat shell. So it just yields more. Um, you're getting more meat picked out of those claws. So typically in June, um, we're running that harder shell lobster for us as a processor. That's kind of the ideal time to be. You know whether it's producing a, a, a super high quality product or, or it's, it's a better opportunity to make money as well. Um, just because you're getting, you're getting more out of that lobster. Um, the main season kicks on right about now, like, you know, around the middle of, of, uh, of July typically. And, um, it usually takes a little bit for things to kind of, um, kind of like, uh, I guess you kind of ride out that like first few catches and where prices are at, how the catch is looking, but usually by like the end of July and then like through September is a pretty nice consistent spot for the main season to be uh, kind of just like hitting it every day. I guess when it comes to like lobster populations and behavior, have you noticed any changes over the past couple of years? It, you do get years that are up and down. Like this year, the catch was down in most areas in Atlantic Canada. But when you look over um, like a longer period, like you look over 10 years, you're kind of like riding the wave, riding the roller coaster, and you're, you're pretty much staying even um, in catches. The, the one thing we have seen with with some warming waters is um, like there used to be a, a, a there used to be a lobster fishery in New Jersey that was was pretty good um, that doesn't exist anymore essentially. And Massachusetts used to be a pretty big, um, you know, obviously far before my time, it used to be a, a pretty big uh, lobster um, lobster catch area. And now we, you know, with some of the, we work with some crab boats in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and we'll buy their lobster during the, during the summer. And we really don't get a whole lot from there because they just don't catch a whole lot. So um, the catch has stayed, you know, like on one side, you say, you know, stayed pretty consistent, but, but there is no kind of really no two ways around it. That they have been migrating north. They are migrating north. Is that, for, is that for the colder water, you think? Is, is that what the theories are right now? Yeah, that's what theories are, and, and the, you know it's you, you know you are kind of throwing darts a little bit, but it feels like at some point you know, Newfoundland will probably have a very large you know uh, a very large lobster population. So tell us about these shacks. So I love the fact that they're called shacks. By the way, that's got yeah. kind of a kind of a Cape Cod feel. You know, you're it's you're and it's you're not taking yourself too serious. I kind of like the the name. Yeah, we. I would say we keep it pretty casual in the, in, in the shacks. Um, we have, um, you know, as you were saying off the, off the top, we do have 2022 20, in the U S now and, and 
21 of those are true traditional, what we would call our shacks. You know, some of them are 600 square feet and, you know, we might have our largest one being 1500 square feet, um, um, which is one in, uh, in Back Bay in Boston, uh, a little bigger. Then we do have um, our flagship restaurant here in Portland, Maine, um, where we have our, we have a buy station as well. So we have four fishermen that, you know, we land all their catch there. And, and this restaurant sits over 200 people. It's full service. So that's the only real outlier there. Um, but our shacks are that they're really run like a traditional lobster shack. You know, we have crab roll, lobster roll, shrimp roll. We have a couple soups on the menu. We might bring in some LTOs every now and then. And we supply our seafood company supplies um, pretty much all the food that gets consumed in there. Um, you know, we're packaging up fresh meat. We're UPSing overnight or putting on trucks if it's if it's local enough to get product there. Um, and then just working with uh then we just work with a couple of distributors for things like, you know, buns and mayo and stuff like that. Right. So are these company owned shacks or are you starting to explore the franchise model? In the United States, we own and operate all of them. Um, we staff them. We, you know, we have GMs in every location. We have, um, we have DOs that oversee, you know, a handful. We have a COO who, uh, Virginia, who is, um, who's the captain of that ship and, um, and then overseas. It, Unintended. It's, I like it. We're keeping with the theme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then overseas, they are licenses is how they work. So um, very similar to franchise. Um, we're not, we're not operating those, you know, we're not um, staying up all night and, and making sure that, um, that, that things are being run, run the right way in Japan and Singapore. But what we do have is uh, we have great partners there. And we do supply all their seafood, so um, we're we're completely in control of, of the quality and the sourcing of um, of the proteins of the crab, shrimp, and um, and lobster. Well, it sounds like you're doing great in the retail space, and you've got this wholesale business. And from what I understand, you're like the, what, the Benihana supplier of the year, so you're 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 crushing it with the uh, third party uh, restaurant space. Well, I'd say, I'd say when we started the, the seafood company portion of our business started in 2012, um, you know, we just started simply to, to provide some fresh lobster meat to our restaurants because we were having a very hard time um, keeping the quality and consistency of what was, of what was showing up in, in our shacks. Um, and that was when we only had, you know, like six. Um, so we opened our own seafood processing company, seafood company here in in Saco, Maine, just just down the road from Portland, and you fast forward to today, and it's a it's an SQF level three facility. Um, you know, we we have a, a great food safety culture there. Um, we're processing anywhere from um, you know twenty five thousand to forty thousand pounds of lobster per day during the season. Whoa! Um, and, and that's something that um, that not a lot of people know about Luke's. Obviously, we have the you know the storefronts, which is is. Uh, what is, is most customer facing. Um, but the, the wholesale side is, is at this point a larger part of, of the dollars, just because you think about, you know, we, we um, Luke's by itself, just looking at the shacks is, um, is one of the largest, if not the largest lobster meat user um, end user in the country. And we only use lobster meat though in those shacks. So when we run a lobster through, through the processing facility, it could take, you know, it could take four main lobsters to, to make um, to make one lobster roll, but every lobster rolls every lo every single lobster comes through has a tail. Every lobster has a body. 
every lobster has legs. So there's a lot of other products that come out of that. And that all is being turned into, you know, we're selling lobster tails, whether it's in, in our um, CPG consumer packaged products, um, we're selling them just food service. Um, and then we're using byproducts for things like soups and lobster cakes. And, you know, um, we're, we're really trying to, uh, to utilize the whole animal. Are you upcycling the shell? Is there anything that you can do with the shell? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we dry the shell and it's, it can be used for, you know, like fertilizer, um, um, and, and, a, and a few other things as well, but we are, um, we kind of run a shell drying operation at, at the facility as well. Um, just to like, you know, right now we're only moving out probably a container of waste every, every few days, you know, so we've really, really limited that. That's great. There's a lot with upcycling. I was just curious what other uses there would be. I mean, you've got this beautiful creature and mine is, you know, use every bit of it if you can. Yeah. And, and that, that plays into the, to the B Corp, um, you know, certification as well. Uh, a, a healthy portion of that is, is, you know, is environment and sustainability based. As we were talking earlier about, about a few of our large partners, um, the seafood world is, is kind of interesting where, um, it, it does work on, uh, whether the best word is sometimes paranoia or whether it's just secrecy, you know, people don't always like to talk about who their customers are, you know, um, I've kind of worked in a, in a different way with that. Um, I have some, I have some really cool, you know, on, um, on what I would call actual partnerships with, uh, with a few of our, of our larger accounts. And, and, and you mentioned one there, which is, is Benny Hanna. Um, we were named their supplier of the year in 2022. Um, we supply every lobster tail that that went through their that went through their restaurants the last couple of years. Um, just a, a really unique relationship we have with them, where um, where we've worked together to kind of move out the like what's going on with the market, what's someone willing to pay today, and we've really broken it down to what is the live cost, what's the cost to produce the product, and we kind of run a program that's based more off of. Um, well, it's completely based off the production cost of the product versus um, what someone's willing to pay on any given day. Um, and this has been a really fun, fun program where, you know, as we talked about a couple of those real peak times, like the best times to be processing lobster, whether it's, you know, usually the month of June or in the heat of that main season, we just put up the majority of their inventory during that time. Um, and it's worked great for us because we have We've got a guaranteed home for for big big volumes of lobster during that time, all lobster tails, and they know their guaranteed plate cost, and they don't got to ride that wave of saying, "Well, if we buy this in January, is the price going to be better? Is it going to be worse?" You know, it can be at a spot where where it works for everybody. So, um, that's that's a great business strategy, Adam. It really is because instead of trying to like maximize every single dollar depending on the day and the market share. You've just you've locked in a great long-term partner. Yeah, you may not make as much every single time, but the flip side of it is you smooth out your revenue curve now too. Absolutely, and you know, we as, as we were talking to you know, we we look at our like our branded grocery business there, or or as the you know the the more common term for it is you know CPG. Um, those products that that we've come out with you know started in 2018, and it's it is the fastest growing segment of our business um and and the thing we're probably focused on the most um in the last last year or two um having these really large partners that 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 work with you on you know on transparency and 
you know, just show them what, what things are costing to produce. You know, you don't got to try to think everything. Um, it also has allowed us to, um, to spend a lot more time building other segments of our business. So I think that's something that I appreciate an awful lot. Well, if we go back a few years, you were the supplier of the year for Whole Foods. Are they still one of your partners? Are you still selling there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah we, we've had a, a really fun ride with Whole Foods. Um, they, um, they brought us on in uh, at the end of 2018 and we did like a truckload of lobster to them. Um, and it just quickly grew. Um, just, just, um, really fantastic people to work with there. Um, easy, like, um, transparent. Um, we, we, we have honest conversations. They come up and visit a few times. They've really helped grow our business. There's really no, no other way around that. Um, but yeah, winning that was, um, was probably more shocking than anything else. Um, I mean, that, that, that wasn't one we seen coming. I think just due to the sheer size and scope of of Whole Foods and, and us just being you know a small family owned processor that you know we're still we're still majority owned by by a single family here with with uh, with Luke and um, Luke his brothers and his dad. So um, yeah, it's the, humbling, isn't it, when the big boys come down and want to partner with you? Yeah, um, that was one. You know, looking on the sales side, we you know I think we. I think we knew we'd be a very good partner for them. You know, I thought we thought we were doing the right things and, and, and values would align pretty well there. Um, whether it was from quality, whether it was from just from, whether it was just from how we treat the animal, um, how we process it, you know, kind of however you want to look at it. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, when I, when I look back at getting into this business, I, you know, I joined in, uh, in 2016, um, and, thinking ahead to seeing us, you know, you know, I guess it would have been three years later, we win the, uh, win the global supplier of the year award for Whole Foods. That, that would have been a pretty, uh, would have been a pretty good goal to have out of the gate, you know, and, and not one that I, I had on the, um, that I had on the list. So, um, something that, um, something that I'm proud of, something that we're proud of as a company. Well, given your background in sales, but at the same time, given the limited resources that you have with lobsters, I imagine that's kind of a fine line about going out and trying to knock down more doors, activate more doors. It's not like you've got an endless supply. So I imagine you've got to put a lot of care into identifying the right partners, activating the right doors at the right you know, areas of the country too. So can you kind of talk us through a little bit about your like your philosophy of how you go out and try to attract new business? I'm kind of old school in this sense. I still really believe in like banging phones. You know, we, we make a lot of phone calls here. I make a ton of cold calls still, you know, I have a sales team now and a, and a procurement team, but I, I like that aspect of it. I like competing. I like being in deals. Like I, I truly believe it's my sake. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather be in, 10 and win one than being two and win one. Like I just like being in the mix. Um, so I like that part of it. Um, I, I think that the, the, the advantage to, to where like, you know, we, you know, we, we touch maybe call it like, you know, five or 6 million pounds a year of lobster, you know, and we process, um, if we, and we prospect, we, we process the majority of that we move some live, but, I think the the real plus to that is that, you know, not everyone's a fit for your business. And because you're not completely, you know, you're not overwhelmed with a, um, the amount of lobster you're producing, especially with a few really good partners, like we mentioned with Benny Hanna, Whole Foods, who work with a grocery store in the Midwest called Food Lion that 
that move some pretty big, pretty big volumes for us as well um, of lobster tails. Um, you have a um, you have an opportunity to be a little picky sometimes. Um, you know, there's always things like uh, you know we produce in a year a couple hundred thousand pounds of frozen lobster bodies, raw frozen lobster bodies. That is not the sexiest product in the world. Um, so, so you know, we have some stuff like that. That you know, that stuff's got to move, and and you got to find ways to get that out the door. Um, and, and it's not worth a lot either. But you know, when you come to your items like you know lobster meat and lobster tails, and and you know, um, and products like that that you do have a finite amount of, it's nice that um, you know there's always somebody else. Is the truth. Um, and if 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 you're working with somebody that's super challenging or, or there's not a two-way um, street of respect, you can just move on. You know, you, you don't need them. They don't need you. And that's okay. Um, and, and I've come to realize that over time that if you, you don't got to win them all, you know, you just got to, I think you just want to win the right ones. Well, it sounds like you like being at the plate. You know, you want to take a few hacks in there and see, you know, see if you can put something in play. I'm curious though, with the advent of, cell phones, everyone working remote, very few people being like in the office at their desk with a desk phone. How are you finding the cold calling working? It's interesting. You have, um, right. You'll go, you know, you, you get out and make a couple calls and you'll talk to, you know, a very structured call receptionist, answer the phone, looking for this person or like, you know, we use other creative ways, of course, whether it's, you know, LinkedIn or whether it's, websites, whether it's referrals, you name it, you know, you, you, you try to have, um, I think you try to use anything at your disposal because, you know, like there's, you know, where there's also, you know, a fine, there is a, you know, the finite amount of lobster, you know, but there's also a finite amount of these like real special customers that you want to work with. Um, but, um, so you go from a, that really structured environment of, of making the cold calls and, and going through the steps that you go through, like, you know, when I worked for, you know, I work for Designs for Health um, in, in the medical world or when I worked my first job, um, first job post-university was working for, for Xerox, you know, and that's just your typical cold call. And some of them here feel that way, but then you'll get the one where you call and, you know, it's a, it's a business doing $8 million in sales and the owner answers the phone because that's how they've always done it. And um, it, it's a real, um, and, and they love to talk about seafood, you know, so there's... Um, there's a real variety of, um, of, of personalities and, uh, and individuals you'll deal with when, when making cold calls in lobster. But I mean, are you actually able to get through to people? I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at was that, you know, a lot of times, a lot of these companies that another part of my business deals with, they'll make cold calls, they'll try to get in and they, the calls seem to go nowhere. They don't get routed anywhere that you get stuck in these automated systems that just don't take you to take you to anybody yeah um yeah and i think um a lot of that is uh it, it really is going back to a little the little bit of of what you know some people look at as as an old school approach and you know, i look at it as just a way to to all you want to do is eventually get there and, and and potentially um potentially create a new relationship but a lot of these you know like even looking back on on some of these accounts that we've um that we've brought on like some of them have taken 30 40 touches right so like the whole goal for for me with with me with my team and and this is I'm not overly metric driven but I do have it down to like for the most part I know how many calls it's going to take me to you know get a meeting on the books or how many calls it's going to take to turn that meeting into a sale 
Um, and, you know, I, I can, I can look at, you know, how many touches I've made or, or reps made on, on an account. And I can, I can, for the most part, confidently say that, you know, you, you got to make X amount more touches or X amount more different ways to get in there before you're probably going to get the right person to, to touch back. The, the caveat to that is that as I talked about those other, other industries I worked in, um, people are a little more receptive. And I don't know if this would be um, consistent across food. Um, you know, I, I've listened to, to a few of your podcasts as well. And a lot of CEOs, their parents aren't on the phone as much. But um, I think um, I do find it is, um, it, it is, uh, how do I, how do I put this? It's, it's different in a sense that someone is a little quicker to, I think, to give a call back if they see an opportunity or if they are, are you know, if, if you're a very, if they're buying 20 different SKUs of seafood, you know, say a seafood, seafood department at a, at a grocery store, and you're one of three lobster companies that have called that actually produce it, and you're not the company that's buying it from the producer to try to sell to them. Sometimes like that's, uh, you know, it, it is a bit of a, of a privilege for, uh, you know, I, I take that seriously. I think it is like that talking about that two way street of respect, you know, awesome for me to be selling our product to somebody who's the next person that touches is going to eat it. You know, you know where your product's going, but it's also pretty cool that they can say that they're buying directly from the producer who's working directly with fishermen. So I think, I think that there um, does give you a little bit of, uh, of an advantage as well. Yeah. That's a little bit of your differentiation. I think you've kind of honed in on that, but earlier you said, sometimes it's taken 30 to 40 touches. That's incredible. That's a lot of, it's a lot of phone calls, a lot of LinkedIn messages. That's uh, I, I think you like the physical aspect of it. You mentioned you played hockey. You probably like the, the physical side of getting on the phone and talking to people. It's uh, it does have a different feel, different vibe. You get a different energy, you know, when you're doing that versus just the, the email. We all get cold emails. Um, what do you do with them mostly, right? Like I, I, I respond very, very few. And like I, but if I get a, you know, sometimes I get a cold call, I'm, you know, I'm willing to give it the time of day, you know, as long as, as long as the first line is, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not trying to sell you anything because, you know, I don't think that's the, um, I don't think the best way to start off a call is, is to, is to tell a fib. Um, and it's okay to be selling something, you know, that's, that's kind of how the world turns, you know? Um, oh, wait. So you said if someone calls you and says, they want to talk to you, but they're not trying to sell you something. You call BS on that. Absolutely. There, there, there's no, ch- I, why would I, they be calling? I don't know why you're in sales. If you, if you're not going to be proud of, uh, uh, it's either, either that's not the company you should be with. That's not the product you should be selling or you shouldn't be selling because, um, I, I did hear, um, this was back in me. This is a, this is a while ago, but I, I heard a quote that, uh, nothing happens until someone sells something. And, um, I, I think that is pretty true in the business world. That's like a disqualifier for you automatically if they're not being they're not being honest or genuine. All right, yeah, and I, you know, with with our team here, um, whether it's you know that going back to the going back to the transparency of like you know how we produce, what we produce, why we have these certifications, whatever it's going to be about our business, you know, um, why we do things the way we do them. Same thing if you know if you know it, it, where. Um, our team, I wouldn't want anyone telling someone that they're not trying to sell something because it's exactly what we're trying to do. And I think it's okay as well. If you have, you have five or six conversations with somebody, several meetings with them and they haven't purchased from you, it's okay to ask them for that sale, right? 
how come you haven't right. how come you haven't bought anything from us yet? You know, we we talk all the time, and like you know, it's um it, it still is business at the end of the day, and it's nice to have um you want to have these relationships. Like I have some very close friends in this industry who are customers of mine now. And I value those a ton. Um, there's, there's a guy from a from a, a, a pretty large uh, I would call it like a broker distributor work with. Um, good friend of mine, probably at my wedding, you know, when I, when I get married and, um, that that's really cool to me, but also like, um, you know, I don't want friends. I also want, you know, we, we want partners, we want customers. So it's okay to, uh, it's okay to push for that. I love that you said, Hey, we've been talking for five, six months. We've had 10 conversations. Why haven't, why haven't you bought from us? I imagine some of your salespeople, maybe that makes them uncomfortable to be that direct. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm probably, um, I'm super respectful of, you know, I, I love the sales team I have right now. These guys, you know, this, this team works very hard. They, they make a lot of calls. They, they'll do, you know, if, if we, uh, if we make, if we miss a pickup, they'll go pick something up at six in the morning. Like, you know, they're, they're all in. And I really appreciate that. But um, going back to, to what you're just asking, I think it is, I think it can be a difficult conversation. But, you know, I think my expectation is that the person you're speaking to, like, I think they expect that you're trying to sell them products, you know, like, and that's, you know, I don't think you have to completely beat around that, that, you know, their, their role is a, they're in a procurement role and you're in a selling role and that's okay. And, uh, and I've said that before that, you know, you have um, someone on your team who's been working with someone for a very long time. And I'm not too shy to say too, that's, that's not a opportunity anymore. That's just a friend. I just like, you know, that's, that's someone that you talk to that doesn't buy anything. So, you know, you can, that's you a relationship. Spend, it's not a, yeah, it's can, not a, yeah, it's not a, yeah, you, spend your, you know, you can almost expend your, uh, your time outside of work on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other point is if you are that upfront and that transparent about, Hey, why haven't you bought? I think you're going to get some good information out of that. You yeah, should hear uh, something that should either, either help you refine what you're selling. Basically, you got to get down to the no. You got to get down to why they're not. Why Why is it a no? Yeah. Um, and you said a good point too. Um, uh, you know, oftentimes if you can just get in the, in the mode of, and I was very much pitch first at some points in my, in my career, especially where like you work in Xerox, you know, you go through their, their sales training, which is very structured and was very helpful to me to an extent, but they have like talk tracks and things like that. Right. And we, and do we hear, you know, we, like we, we, I love doing things as a team here. Like we bounce around, you know, bounce around ideas on here's a, here's the eight objections I hear all the time, you know, and, and part of the game is bouncing objections. It's just, it's true. Like, you know, you do need to turn that objection into an opportunity. Um, and if you if you move past all those, you should be at a point where you get a sale, um, or you qualify them that they're not going to be. Not. They're not, and you, you know. Yeah, and I think if you, oftentimes, you know, I, I've found whether it's where it's in life or whether it's in uh, in, in sales or in business, if you ask if you ask the right questions and you ask enough questions, and you know. Truth is too, like I, I like, I like learning about people. I like, especially from different areas, you know, we're, we're so fortunate to work with people all over this country that work with, um, all over the world that work with casinos and cruise lines and you name it, you know, um, really cool. And oftentimes if they ask enough questions and you, and you just listen, people just tell you what they, 
tell you what they want, right? And that's a lot easier way to it's a lot easier way to navigate um, what can be a, an intimidate, intimidating thing to be doing, which is making a lot of cold calls to you know, or making just calls in general to people that probably necessarily don't love you know it, it happening. <laughs> don't all the time. Exactly. So I just find it's an easier way to to, to navigate through it, you know. So I've tried to. Uh, I found that's been successful for me, at least. I do think, though, that being in the food and beverage space, at least you do have one thing going for you, and that's you've got these delicious samples. And you can say whatever you want to say, but you, hey, I'm going to back it up, you know, try our samples. Now, I know they get samples, but I mean, if you truly have a better product, that obviously shines through. So I think that at the end of the day, that is also an ace in the hole. Yeah, I, it, I think it worked both ways, right? You could be the, you could have the, you could have the best relationship managers, best salespeople you're ever going to have. If your if your product stinks, you're, um, it's not going to be sustainable you're nowhere. either. Yeah, exactly. Yep, so you're nowhere. It's not sustainable. All right. So yeah. you said you're in ten states. So what's the best way for people to go out and find you guys? Uh, let's say find a shack and then maybe find you in in retail so they can try some of this uh, lobster tail or lobster meat. Yeah, so um, start with retail. We're we're nationally in Whole Foods, um, uh, and on our website on on lukeslobster.com, if you go on there, we have a list of every grocery store we're in um, in the United States. Where we have a, a where you can find us page. Um, our um, not every you know like we we do have for right now you know we have like a lobster mac and cheese, we have a lobster bisque, we have lobster cakes, um, just the meat, um, a split tail. We have a lot of a lot of uh, the grocery products. Um, not every store we're in obviously carries the whole line, but but um, but we can be found in in, a, in an awful lot of um, an awful lot of uh, of different lines um, or different uh, different brands. Um, a couple recently that we've that we've um, been fortunate enough to get in into their doors are uh, Big Y, which is in like um, in the Connecticut uh, Massachusetts area. And we just, um, this is a cool, we just got into Coborns, which is uh, in like the Midwest. Um, so, so that's a, that's a, that's a new one in a new area for us as well. They took on um, three of our SKUs. Um, same thing for the shacks. Um, if you go to, um, on the website, we have a list of, of, of the addresses for all our shacks in the, um, in this, in the major cities we're in around the U.S., and then we also have an online market that um, you can order B2C, you can order, you know, a lobster roll kit directly to your door um, and, and a plethora of other products. Well, I'm hoping you guys have something in North Carolina because I'm very hungry right now. <laughs> you might have to. We, that, that is an area we've looked. We've, we've looked and that and that might be one that uh, they might get in the online market. But uh, yeah, probably, probably the DTC uh, there for that. Yeah, that's that's what I expected. I can, pro- I can probably hook you up, Tony. <laughs> you know somebody. I know somebody who knows somebody. You know somebody, somebody like now, it. yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, well, listen, I am so glad we finally got to connect. It sounds like the sky's the limit for you guys. I mean, you, you're you knocking down retailers. Your shacks are doing great. Um, there's probably more questions I'd ask about the about the shacks, but I think we've probably run, run out of time. We'll have you. We'll have to have you back on sometime. We'll have a uh, a live stream and we'll do a uh, we'll, we'll we'll have a lobster roll together and a beer. 
Yeah, that, I think that would be awesome and it would be very fitting because um, you and me probably ended up talking more than, than most people that have come on the show because we were chasing each other down for a couple of years. So <laughs> Exactly. Um, I had to get all I could. I wasn't just going to cut this one short. I mean, it took me two <laughs> years to get you. So I, I was going to pepper you with a lot of questions. Um, Adam, great talking to you. I'm so glad you were able to expose more people to Luke's Lobster today. And um, yeah, stand by. We're going to do a live stream in about a month or so, and we'll continue the conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tony. I really appreciate your time and uh, I appreciate the listeners who, uh, who tune in. We'll make sure to uh, get this out on our, on our social channels. Awesome. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you.